0: us to find inside of ourselves that faith two words describe faith i feel like i'm a little bit loud jerry Um, confidence and assurance these two qualities need a secure beginning and an ending point the beginning point of faith is believing in god he is who he says he is and the ending point is believing in god's promises even though We don't see those promises materializing just yet. And that's when we demonstrate true faith. Salvation and justification. We have been learning a lot about those two words. Salvation is the result. Justification is the process. Faith is at the center. And you can't have either. Faith is the essence. Faith is the connection between you and God. We learned this week our lesson with the story of Abraham. And so what did Abraham do? What did he have? He had faith from the very beginning. God said, go. Abraham said, okay. God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. God said, okay. But, um... I don't know if you know how old I am yet, and I don't know if you've seen my wife lately, but I think she's kind of past the childbearing years. But regardless, Abraham said, okay. And humanly, it was impossible. If we think about that, contrary to Abraham's intellectual knowledge and contrary to our own intellectual knowledge, sometimes stuff doesn't make sense. And trying to piece together the how is this going to happen relies 100% on faith in God and who he is. Did Abraham falter? Yes. Him and Sarah took matters into their own hands. We all know the story. And Sarah says, go with my handmaid. Okay. Okay. Now, where did Hagar come from? Egypt. Back when God told Abraham to go, what did he do? He did a small detour into Egypt. And then when he was in Egypt, he said, Here, Sarah, I bought you a cute Egyptian little handmaid. What happens to that down the road? She gives birth to Ishmael. Because why? Because they didn't believe the father, that the son was not going to happen through Sarah. But it wasn't, that it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen in their time. See, they had to wait on God's timing. So Abraham believed and he was accounted righteous. And that was it. God's covenant to Abraham came after he was accounted righteous. God's promise to you and I comes after we believe and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The only difference is we are not in a physical wilderness, but we may be in a spiritual wilderness. Faith is a heart thing. The Bible itself is a picture of faith. If we take this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's all faith. And we can start by looking at Adam and Eve. Well, why did Adam and Eve sin? Because they didn't believe God. They didn't have faith. Abraham believed. God said, go. God said, I'll make you a father of nations. And God said, sacrifice your son. Okay, Abraham believes. Noah, God said, build a boat. God said, get in the boat. God said, close the door of the boat. Abraham or Noah believed. The two kings of Israel that we read in our message today, they were both anointed by God. But what was the difference? Saul disobeyed and never repented. He didn't have faith. He didn't believe in God. David, uh, Israel's king, sinned greatly. We know that whole story. But as soon as he heard the words, you are the man, falls to his knees, and he says, yes, I have sinned against the Lord. David repented. And David had faith that the prophet Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. Faith is the essence of who we are as Christians. Hebrews 11 goes hand in hand with Romans chapter 4. And so now if you will go to Hebrews 11, we are going to look at that. Okay. Hebrews is also known as the Hall of Fame, Faith's Hall of Fame. Um, and so we're going to, uh, start with looking at faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. He being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which he which is according to faith. Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which was found with Dropping down to 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because They saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward by faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea by the dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so. Verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish, with those who did not believe when she had received the spies. And so I'm going to stop right there, but Hebrews 11 is a picture of faith, and it goes hand-in-hand with chapter 4 of Romans. Um, So the Bible is all about faith. Hebrews 11 is known for the Faith's Hall of Fame. The ending says, they were all commended for their faith. Even though they did not receive the promise while living because they died before Christ came, however, they welcomed the promise by having faith. How many of us this morning are believing in something and hoping it's going to come rather quickly, but it's not going to come because it's not God's timing. We just have to use our faith that's inside of us, that God is faithful. And so now we have Jesus. Jesus is both the perfect example and the complete fullness of faith because his ministry on earth was in complete obedience to the Father. He is the perfect example for us to follow because he is the complete fullness of faith. We are redeemed, justified, saved, By only, and by only believing in him. It's not nothing that we can do. It's not nothing that we can say. It's not how many Bible verses we have up our sleeve. It's not how many ministries we can do. It's by believing in Jesus. And by accepting him on who he is. Jesus is the perfect example to follow. Jesus is the perfect fullness of the promise of God. Everything that God has promised since the beginning of time is complete in Christ. Everything that he has promised comes together in Christ. The cross is a picture of grace and faith. God's desire has not changed. Just as he was calling out forefathers to the faith, he is calling you and he is calling myself to faith. And let's go deeper. Let's talk about unrepented sin. I know that's going to hurt. And I know it's difficult, but the Bible tells us we need to go into the Word of God and we need to face it full face. Because we either don't believe that God can deal with our sin or we can see, convince ourselves it's not such a big deal and we seek to justify it. But at the center is our lack of faith. Giving up the life we have to get a new life with Jesus takes faith. It's like a little child, a little child. Um, Give me the toy, but behind the curtain over here, I'm going to give you a bike. And what does the little kid do? I don't want to give you up my toy. No, because he doesn't believe me. That's how we are with our our sin. That's how we are with our life. God says, give it to me. I have something bigger. We want to hold on to it. But all he's asking is for us just to let go. Let go and believe me. Believe me that I'm going to take care of you. Believe me that I'm going to watch over your kids. Believe me. Justification. Once we receive Christ, we are justified and made righteous in him. And that takes faith. Salvation is the deliverance from sin and its consequences. And that takes faith in Jesus. And sanctification is walking with the Lord, growing with the Lord, growing in your walk. And that takes faith. Because there's one person in this world that doesn't want us to achieve that salvation, to live eternally with God. And he's going to trip you up. And he's going to make things happen to you. And he's going to talk to you in your head. And he's going to tell you, yeah, what about this? Remember that. No, you don't deserve this. And when we recognize that, we need to tell him to get behind me, Satan. Faith is all that God is asking from us this morning, ladies. That's all he wants you to do. No matter what you're going through, he just wants you to have faith. Just have faith and believe. And who wants to please God more? When we, I mean, I know I do. I just I want to please Him more. So when you want to please Him more, increase your faith. The more we have faith, the more in Him is in our lives. And ask God to increase your faith. And when you ask God to increase your faith, just don't show up with a cup. Lord, here's my cup. Increase my cup. No, show up with a bowl. Show up with a bowl. Get a swimming pool if you have to. The evidence of God's presence in our lives is in direct proportion of our faith. Little faith, little evidence. Big faith, big evidence. Little story, my grandma, she's in heaven. Uh, My grandma was was a picture of faith for me. She walked and talked to Jesus every day. And not having Jesus in her life was not negotiable. And she made it very clear to all of us. It was not negotiable. And right before she went home to be with the Lord, she started getting dressed up every day. She'd get on her nice dress. She'd put on her pantyhose. She'd put on her uh, high heels. And I'd say, Grandma, where are you going today? Why are you all dressed up? And she'd say, Honey, because if I go meet Jesus today... I want to be dressed in my best. And so she had huge faith that she was going to meet her Savior. And when she met her Savior, she wanted to be, in her view, she wanted to meet Jesus in her best. And so this morning, it's not a, a clothing issue meeting Jesus. It's meeting him at your best in your heart. You want to Give him your heart. And so now let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And how many of you believe that you are justified by faith this morning? And how many of you believe that you are accounted righteous because of your belief in Jesus Christ? Everyone. I got three definitions of faith this week. Faith, complete trust and confidence in someone or something. Okay. Faith that your favorite World Series baseball team was going to (laughs) win. Who watched the game? I cracked up on how many people were praying at the last inning. Lord, (laughs) let him hit a home run. I mean, I was sitting, I was laughing. Millions, uh, not millions, thousands of people watching the World Series. I'm I'm a Cubs fan, just back there, Jerry. As doing the dance but really does god does god love baseball i mean like come on people you're praying for your team to win i would have to say i don't think that god cares for baseball i think if god is glorified in the win then he's gonna make it happen i don't know if that makes sense to you guys but i was looking at the stadium i thought wow how awesome would that be of a stadium filled with so many people were just believed in god and, and and had faith. That is just amazing. Christian faith. Oh, the Cubs won, by the way. Christian faith. It only can come from one Bible verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, and that's it. That's all we have to do is believe in him. shall not perish but have everlasting life. And one of the questions we had in our week, study this week, it asked us to rewrite the good news of Abraham's story of faith. And as I thought it over, and a couple of days went by, and I'm like, how am I going to rewrite that? What what does that look like? And I sat down at my computer, and I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, just, what am I going to say? How am I going to rewrite this? And it came to me very clearly. When we give our life to Jesus... In exchange, he takes our sin and gives us eternal life with him, giving us his righteousness, and he becomes the sin offering so that you and I will not go through the penalty of sin, that he took the punishment for us so that we would be made righteous. Jesus paid it all. And remember back when you fully surrendered your life to Jesus. What did that look like? For some of us, if we could just touch the hem of his garment, we knew that we would be healed of our illness, of our sin, of our disobedience. And when we touched that garment, he imputed his righteousness upon us. And it was not anything that you did to deserve him. But yet, Jesus loved you so much that he reached down and he pulled you up. This morning, we're going to look at right in God's sight, accounted as righteous and justified by faith. All which cannot happen without faith. As we look back, when Paul pens the letter to the church in Rome, He knows that the group is Jews and Gentiles trying to follow what they know. And as Paul has seen in his own travels, the division between the two groups can be a little difficult. And how does he know this? Because Paul was one of the difficult ones. He knows that he knows it's not about the law. It's not about the works. It's about believing in Jesus and having faith. We can get the sense that as Paul is writing this letter that he's going to tell them now here in chapter 4, before you get all self-righteous, I'm going to teach you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to teach you the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Telling them it's going to be tough to hear. You're going to need to change the way you think about yourself and others. Our pride of our accomplishments in the flesh will not reach the throne of grace. But our belief in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will. And so last week in chapter 3, we learned of the benefits of being a Jew. They had the oracles of God. God entrusted them with his revealed word. And the privilege of being a Jew does not apply to salvation. And so writing in a diatribe fashion... Asking a question, then answering it as if someone else was in the room with him. That's how the book of Romans was penned. And we ended chapter 3 with questions from the church in Rome. Does this faith wipe out everything Judaism stands for? And does it cancel out the scriptures, putting an end to our customs? Paul replies in Romans 3.31, Certainly not. On the contrary, we established the law. The law anticipated the coming gospel of justification through faith. And now he's going to tell them why God saves us through faith alone. Faith eliminates the pride of human effort because faith is not a deed that we do. Faith exalts what God has done, not what we do. Faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up to God's standards. We need help. And faith is based on our relationship with God, not our performance for God. And so as we read verse 1 in Romans chapter 4, we're going to find that Abraham was justified by faith, and his story is in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Abraham our father reveals that the nation Israel began with Abraham. According to the flesh is according to our own labor. Abraham has found that Abraham's works according to his flesh did not produce boasting but produced shame and confusion. Nothing good comes from our works of our flesh, ladies. Verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if Abraham was accounted righteous because of all the good works he did, then he could say, Hey, look what I did. Look how many ministries I'm doing. Look look at me. But he could not do that in the presence of God. He could not boast before God. We sometimes boast to ourselves or our friends. But we can't say, look God, what look what I did. God does not justify us by the works of our flesh. Because the works of our flesh cannot stand before his holiness. Isaiah 64.6 reminds us, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The Jews were proud to be called children of Abraham, and they still are today. So much that they thought it gave them bragging rights. And Paul is telling them, Hey, I'm not disputing the fact that these guys were great, Abraham and King David. I'm not disputing that. But these guys were sinners as well. And so the Jews borrowed faith from Abraham's righteousness, trying to excuse them from not being judged. My son Ryan is currently over in Israel with the Bible College. And when he comes back in Thanksgiving, he'll had been there ninety days. And so I was asking him the other day, Ryan, what are the Jews like over there? Because it's different when you go for 12 days on a tour, but when you're living there for 90 days, you get to see people. Just like if you have friends come over, people get to see you after maybe seven days. He says, Mom, it's the saddest thing you'll ever see. The Jews call themselves sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and anything of the prophets. Orthodox Jews still hold on to tribes, Judah, Gad, Asher. It says Jews are very particular to the Old Testament so much that if you were to call it the Old Testament, they will get offended because to them it's called the Scriptures of God because to them there is no New Testament. So there's no such Old Testament if there never was a New Testament. And when he told me that, I was just like, oh my gosh, wow. To this day... And they're very boastful in their heritage and their law. He said that's like they go around with it on their face. I am a Jew. I'm from Abraham. And I'm going to heaven because I'm Jewish and I'm better and I'm favored more than anyone else. They're very boastful in their heritage and the law, but we know that God is not done with Israel. And we know that the Jews are still the apple of God's eye. And so let's go ahead and look at some scripture that the Jews used to argue about with being sons of Abraham. So let's open with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to see here John the Baptist ran into that, and this is where he was baptizing. Let's go to Matthew 3. Okay, Matthew 3, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he's His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to, to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gave his wheat and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Also, let's turn to John chapter 8. Jesus himself runs into the same situation. This is right after the woman is caught in adultery. Picking it up here in verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I... Do judge, my judgment is not true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus said, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself before he says, Where I go, you cannot come? Uh, Let's skip down to... 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed... See, right here, Jesus said to those Jews who believed... Some Jews believed, some Jews didn't believe. Just like today, some of us believe, some of us don't believe. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. So there you have Jesus and John the Baptist running into the same situation as here. Paul is telling them, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. And sometimes, too, we can be very boastful when it comes to certain things we are proud of. Sometimes we can get very proud of our schooling, our job career, our kids, our cars, how many ministries we're currently doing, how many scriptures we memorize, how long our prayer time is. It's another word for bragging rights. Cute story here on the mountain. If you're a RIM school district parent, there is a varsity football game about every two to three years between Big Bear and RIM high school. And the winner of that game gets bragging rights for two to three years. And they go all out. They get T-shirts made, and they get hats made and decals made, and it says king of the mountain, king of the mountain. So funny story, when my son first uh, was doing football, he did it for eight years. was so excited to be king of the mountain. Oh, my gosh, I wanted everyone to see it. I wanted to park up front at church like I'm king of the mountain. Yay, you're king of the mountain. But when the school, and I wasn't playing the other te- the team was playing. I was just the mom, the crazy mom in the seat. Yay! We were better than you, Big Bear. But when they lost, oh, get that! I want to take that off my car. I'm not proud to be no king of the mountain. I want that off. I don't want no one to see me now. I don't want to wear my blue and white colors now. I think I like red and black. That's Big Bear colors, you know. Like that king of the mountain. So being boastful. This would also include doing ministry, only so that other people can see you do it. So that other people can hear you say, Look, I'm so tired, I was here till this late and oh my gosh, I gotta do this and this and this. How many times we can find ourselves being boastful in the works of our flesh? We make it a point to say how busy we are working at church or working in the mission field or going somewhere else. And we need to be very cautious, ladies, on how many ministries we get involved in. Why? Why is that a big deal? Because God wants our whole heart. And if we have more than one ministry that we're doing, well, we have to divide that heart up now to like, okay, so now he gets half this ministry over here and then half over there. But what about your ministry at home? What about your ministry with your husband and your kids? I can remember one time a while ago here at this church, I was doing five ministries. I'm boasting right now. I did five ministries. And I'm going to say what they were. (laughs) I was so busy. I had no time for my husband. I had no time for my kids. I don't know where some of those school years went. I don't know where some of those trophies came from. Oh, you did that? When did you win that? No time for Jesus. I got burned out. My desire started not to be that sweet fragrance of Christ. It started to be a complaint session. Oh, I gotta go to the church to do this. Oh, I gotta go do this. Oh, I gotta go do that. So when I started complaining on the inside, guess what? It was coming out on the outside. And I wasn't being obedient to God's Word. I wasn't being obedient to Him calling me and doing a ministry, I wanted to be boastful and do this and this and this and this and this, and it just fell apart. Anything that's of our flesh is going to fall apart. Be watchful of getting burned out. And if you're here this morning and you are doing more than one ministry, and you can, some of us can, praise God. But just remember, he he wants, if he calls you into a ministry, do that ministry 100% full-heartedly. And if you have time for maybe a little bit of another ministry, okay, that's great. But no more than that because then he won't be able to use you. And if he can't use you, then what suffers? You suffer and the people in the ministry that you're trying to help suffers because they're not getting you. You're getting God and through that is coming out through your ministry. So be careful on how many ministries you are currently doing now. If you are currently sitting here not doing a ministry here at this church, come see myself, come see Michelle, come see Elizabeth, and we will get you hooked up. We don't want to be known as leeches coming in and just leeching off the Word of God. Okay? We want to get involved. There's plenty to do here at this little church. Getting back to verse 5. We're going to see now, through the remainder, here we see David celebrates the same truth with Abraham. Verse 5, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So to him who does not bring his works of the flesh to God and says, Here's my works, Lord, but just believes in Jesus Christ. God judges the godly, and God will judge the ungodly. And who will he justify? And who will he bless? Not the Pharisees, but the one who realizes he's worthy of nothing. God says, because you're not trying to earn favor, and because you're not trying to earn my blessing, and because you're just believing in me and who I am, the justifier of the ungodly, I pronounce you righteous for your faith in me. I remember once when I was little, and I know a lot of you think this too, I thought Santa Claus and God were like on the same plateau when I was little. If I was a good little girl, I got toys. If I was a bad little girl, I got good toys. And so that's how I felt when I was put... With God, if I was a good girl, I was going to go to heaven. If I was a bad girl. (laughs) I don't know what that came from, but anyway, so here's one of my stories, another story. Get that from Tanner because he's a story guy. Um, My parents were involved in missions trips, especially to the Indian reservations when I was this little. And it was a very windy day and they were out planting seeds. And my mom said, stay in the trailer with your little sister. I'm like, okay. So I stay in there. and I'm watching her. I'm probably like five. She's three. And I find my mom's makeup bag. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I find this little jar, and it has white, fluffy stuff in it, and it's gooey. And I'm all, hey, come here. And so I put it all over her face, Pond's cold cream, all over her face. So she looks like a little marshmallow. And then, this is in the 60s, everyone wore red lipstick. I don't know why they wore red lipstick. Hey, come here. Let me put lipstick on you. So I was so proud of my accomplishment accomplishment that I wanted to go show my mom. So I opened up the trailer, wind and sand everywhere. We walk out and try to go find my mom. My sister, I'm holding her hand, now becomes a sand face what is it what is it it has legs but it's what you know just full of sand and so I got in trouble ah, uh, bad little girl um and it took days for that to come off even with the ponds cold cream It was she was sore because the sand became like uh sandpaper and so I didn't get it off her face anyways I know she's gonna hear this message sorry um, so yeah. So but God and Santa Claus are not the same. I don't know how we ever come to get that conclusion. And so in verse six, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. David remember, David lived under the law, Abraham lived before the law. The Mosaic Law was given four hundred years after Abraham. David is saying here, how happy is the man who understands that God accounts, imputes, pronounces righteousness apart from works, apart from anything he does or does not do. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. We all know the story of the horrible sin David did, right? Slept with another man's wife. She gets pregnant. tried to push her back to their husband to cover up the sin. And that doesn't work. So he has him killed. God sends Nathan, the prophet, to show David his sin. And what does David do when he hears the words I said earlier? When the prophet Nathan says, You are the man, falls to his knees, and I have sinned against the Lord, fully repented, and was fully forgiven. Blessed are They whose sins are forgiven and sent away, never to be remembered again. God doesn't remember them. We remember them. We need to let go of our guilt and believe that God has forgiven us. And if we have truly repented from that sin, sometimes this can be difficult when a sin has taken root and grown over many years and when it is very serious. But we must remember and believe that Jesus is willing and able to forgive every sin. It is arrogant on our part for us to think that our sin is too big for him to, f- to forgive. Given what he did on the cross for you and me, he paid it all and all means all. John fourteen six says, And whatever you ask for in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so if you have unrepented sin, ask. Ask it in the name of Jesus Christ and he will forgive you. God desires our fellowship. And if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is prompting you to ask forgiveness of an unrepented sin, then do it today. Don't let another day go by, ladies. Come up and we'll pray for you. Jesus doesn't want you to keep it. He wants you to give it to Him. Even though our faith can be weak, and our conscience is sensitive, and our memory will haunt us, God's Word declares that sin confessed, our sins forgiven, and that's in First John one nine. Surrender that sin at the foot of the cross and live free and live free in Christ. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David agrees with Abraham regarding the idea of an imputed righteousness, a goodness that is given, not earned. Happy is the man who's not trying to prove his worth or merit God's blessing. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord, how much you know about the Lord. The fact is, the fact is, The man who is happy, the woman who succeeds in her walk with God, is the one who is not using the works of our flesh to try and earn his grace, but simply believing in the goodness and the loving kindness of the Father revealed through his Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Verse 9, does this blessedness come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness how then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised not while circumcised but while uncircumcised to the Jew as we learn circumcision was everything it proved their Jewishness and their worthiness Paul is saying, wait a minute, guys. Abraham was pronounced righteous before he was circumcised. And he is the father, and he is the father of not only the circumcised Jew, but the uncircumcised Gentile. Because he was pronounced righteous before he was circumcised. Circumcision did not confer righteousness, it confirmed righteousness. So you can be baptized a hundred times, but it won't save you if you don't believe in your heart that the work is done, that Jesus paid your debt. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Abraham is the father of Jew and Gentile to those who believe. Some believe back then. Some believe today. Some be- did not believe back then. Some did not, do not believe today. It's the same thing. And real quick, we'll end real quick here. I'm jumping just to verse 16, and I'll stop there. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who were of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God, who gives life to the dead. Sarah's womb was dead and God made it alive and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And so all true believers, like Abraham, obey. Obedience is faith in action. You are to walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. His faith did not sit. It took steps. Our faith cannot just sit still. It has to take steps. And you must take these steps also by obeying God because you believe him. Salvation is by faith, nothing else, because if it was by works, we would all be wondering every night before we go to bed, am I saved? Did I do enough works for Jesus today? And we would be walking around feeling beat up with our heads cast down. But when we understand that our relationship with the Lord is not based upon anything we do, anything that we don't do, anything that we say or not say, then it's just simply believing salvation becomes something we are not afraid of. And we're certainly not afraid of losing each week. Justification is God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin, while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Justification is not earned through our own works. Rather, we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. In God's eyes, believers have the righteousness necessary to gain eternal life, covered with Jesus' robe of righteousness. Once a person is justified, there is nothing else we need to do nothing else we need to do to gain entrance into heaven since justification comes by faith in Christ based on his works on our behalf our own works are disqualified and as a means of salvation holding to justification by faith keeps us from falling for the lie that we can earn heaven there is no ritual there's no sacrament there's no deed that can make us worthy of the righteousness of Christ. It is only by his grace and in response to our faith that God has credited to us holiness by his son. Both Old and New Testament say, the just shall live by faith. So, righteousness, God's own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, every word. The bad news is that true and perfect righteousness is not possible for man to attain on his own. The standard is simply too high. The good news is that true righteousness is possible for mankind, but only through the cleansing of sin by Jesus Christ and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have no ability to achieve righteousness in our own selves. But Christians possess the righteousness of Christ because God made Him, God made you, who had no, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This means that we are made righteous in the sight of God. That is, that we are accepted as righteous and treated as righteous by God on account of what the Lord Jesus has done. He was made sin. We are made righteous. Jesus was treated as if he was the sinner, though he was perfectly holy and pure. And we are treated as if we were righteous, though we are defiled and depraved. On account of what the Lord Jesus has endured on our behalf, We are treated as if he had entirely fulfilled the law of God and had never become exposed to its penalty. We have received this precious gift of righteousness from the God of all mercy and grace. And in closing, rest in Jesus and hear his heartbeat for you. He says, have faith in me. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray. Lord, will you give? We give you our heart, Lord. We give you our soul. And we live for you alone. Every breath that we take, every moment we are awake, help us to live more for you. Give us more faith to believe in you. And that our desire in this life will be to live for you only. And that it will never be negotiable. And, Father, I ask as you bless these ladies now as they go into their groups, Lord, and you'll bless the time that they share with one another, Lord, and that you will convince in their heart, Lord, that they don't need to prove themselves to nobody else. They just need to believe in in you and who you are, God's only Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.